We're going to ask the kids to make their way to junior church. And we're going to, while they're making their way, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 10 this morning. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Okay. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks thus, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring up Christ from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The story is told of a man who approached the gates of heaven. And as he approached the gates of heaven, he noticed over the, the top of the gate there were the words, Whosoever will may come. As he walked through those gates and turned around to look back at them, he saw above the gates the words, Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. The two ideas, I think, illustrate for us the two aspects of salvation. As we think about that, I think we need to wrestle with, did God choose us, or did we choose God? Or did both happen? And and that's what we want to look at as we move into what I've entitled here, free will. In chapter 9, we looked at God's sovereignty. God made a choice. Made a choice to redeem you. He made a choice to to provide salvation for us. That was based on his faithfulness. It was based on his righteousness, on his justice, and on his grace. And yet, you and I have a choice in the matter. God, in the very beginning of time, gave man, in his sovereignty, gave man the right to make a choice. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Just one choice was all that God asked of them. Not to eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had to decide, are we going to eat or are we not going to eat of that tree? And the, the result of that has affected all of our lives down through the, the ages there. But uh, what is involved in the choice that, that he asks us to make? We look first here, I think, at the accessibility of the gospel. He, he sums it up for us, and I know we didn't read the rest of the chapter. We'll get to that next week, but... Uh, Notice verse 13, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I am just crazy enough to believe that if God says that, he means it. I've been reading a book this week on the sovereignty of God, uh, a well-known author that has wrote on that. And as far as he is concerned, we don't have a choice when it comes to salvation. Um, That's God's sovereign choice. You're either elect or you're not. And, and he, he goes so far as to say Christ didn't die for the sins of the whole world. 
he just died for the sins of the elect there. Well, I hate to take issue with the man, but I don't think that's what Scripture says. When it says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, I believe he extends that invitation to all of us. In 1 John, he says Christ died for the sins of the whole world. I don't think we need to explain that away. I don't think it diminishes God's sovereignty in the least if somebody refuses to believe. That's their choice. God in his sovereignty has given us the the right to make that choice. Uh, Paul uses here an illustration, though, of Israel to reveal to us how accessible is the gospel today. Notice, his, again, his great desire in verse 1. It was that Israel would be saved, that individuals would come to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to hold that thought till next week because I think we have to wrestle with that implications of that when we come down to uh, how shall they hear unless somebody goes and so forth. Do, do we really have a desire to reach the lost. Is that important to us today? But that's next week. I'm not going to take time for that today. Uh, They needed salvation. They needed to come to God. Why did they need the gospel? They had some tremendous privileges over the years. They were God's chosen people. Uh, They were the, the line through which the Savior came into the world. And yet the fact of the matter was each of them as individuals were sinners in need of the grace of God. They, they needed to come to God for salvation. The fact that they grew up in the nation of Israel did not guarantee that they were on their way to heaven. We, if we're not careful, we fall into that thinking, even today. Uh, a child growing up in a Christian home, uh, he's got it made. Mom and dad saved, so hey, he must be sitting. Well, that's not quite the case, is it? That child has to come to the place where they are accountable before God. They have to make that, that individual choice. They, they have to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And that child has some tremendous advantages growing up in a Christian home. If mom and dad are living for the Lord and walking with the Lord, then they have a better chance of hearing the gospel and, and, and understanding the, the grace of God and so forth. But there comes a point where they must make a choice. And thinking of that, Paul reveals to us here, first of all, that zeal alone does not save a person. If it did, zeal. Got it up there? Yeah, okay. Uh, it, Israel had it made. They were very zealous for the law. They were very zealous for the, the temple, the, the ceremonies, the sacrifices. They very carefully followed the, the scriptures in, in so many of those areas. We could say that they were a very zealous group of people. But the problem was, zeal doesn't always touch the heart. We can go through the motions. We, we, we can do all of the right things and uh, be a little bit like uh, Dennis the Menace as he's sitting in the corner. He's saying, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> we, we, we can go through the motions and not really be a child of God. We, we, we need to be careful in, in that area. He goes on to say, Not only does zeal not save us, but knowledge doesn't save us either. There's no guarantee that just because a person knows the way that they're going to become a child of God. Uh, Romans 1.21, Paul revealed the fact when they knew God, they what? They glorified him not as God. Did they know God? Said they did. 
they, they knew who he was. They, they, they knew what God expected of them. They just simply chose not to do it. And it, it always amazes me how many people today can quote scripture. They know the word. They, they, they grew up with it maybe, uh, been taught it, and, and yet uh, they quote it because they want to debate some of the finer points of it. They don't really want to follow the word of God. And they, they use it to justify themselves. We were talking about that in Sunday school class today. Uh, we made reference to that, uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse, judge not that you be not judged. A lot of people out there in the world know that verse. And if, if, if you confront them in their sin, they're going to throw that verse in your face. Judge not that you be not judged. Uh, do, do they know the rest of the passage? Probably not. But uh, they, they, they do know that much there. Uh, we can know about God without really knowing God. I, I think of, uh, how many of you know the President of the United States? Most of you are raising your hands. <laughs> don't, don't the rest of you read the news? <laughs> uh, we, we, we have a president. We, we know his name. We, we know his wife's name. We know a little bit of his background. But do we really know him? No, we don't. Uh, if we were walking down the downtown Chihuahua here and, and he was walking down there and we came across him, would we know that this was the president of the United States? We probably would. Yeah, uh, we, we, we would recognize him. Uh, uh, but would we go up and shake your hand, his hand and say, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you again. No, uh, well, we wouldn't even get close to him. We, we don't really know him. We, we, we know who he is. And, and that's the problem with sometimes with knowledge. We know God is God, but do we really believe that he is my God? Have we, have we really come to the place where we, on a personal basis, know him today? Uh, Paul also reveals that self-effort here will not save us. Uh, many lived a good life, and many today are living a good life. To them, it's important to keep the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Uh, there are even those out there that would like to suggest, like the uh, rich young ruler that came to Christ, Jesus said, well, what is what? What does it say there? What's the commandments? And he listed several of them. And, and uh, the young man says, I've kept all of those from my youth up. And uh, he was living a good life. He'd been a, probably a good neighbor. And yet uh, he was still lost. There was something missing in his life there. And Jesus, I think, puts his finger on that. But I, that's off of our passage here today. But um, the problem is, he was lost because Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 says, unless your righteousness does what? Exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he was not in that verse being critical or condemning the scribes and Pharisees. They sought to keep the law to the extent that they understood it. They, they were very zealous for, for the law. He was simply saying that that's not, that self-effort's not going to get you into heaven. In, in James chapter 2, verse 10, it, he's, this is where the going gets tough for him. He said, if, if we keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, what are we? We're guilty. We're lawbreakers. We're, we're guilty of breaking the law of God. Now, that young man could say, you know what? I haven't murdered anybody. Probably most of us could raise our hands on that as well. We, we haven't murdered anybody, but uh, have we entertained a spirit of pride? God said he hates that. Hmm. 
and yet that's kind of a res respectable sin for us today, isn't it? Uh, have, have, we, uh, have we entered into gossip? Have we violated God's word in other areas? Then we're, we're lawbreakers, and no matter how much we try not to murder people, uh, and sometimes we struggle with that, don't we? You ever have anybody you'd like to wring their neck? <laughs> it, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not the only one that does that. <laughs> we, we, we struggle with that temptation, don't we? And uh, maybe a lot of times we don't do it because we're afraid we can't get away with it. <laughs> if we had the opportunity and could get away with it, maybe we'd do it there. But uh, no. Uh, he, he says, you know, you offend in one point. You, you've offended in them all here. But praise the Lord, he doesn't stop with that. In verse 4, he said, For Christ is the end of the law to everyone who does what? Who believes. We simply come in faith to Jesus Christ. His salvation, the gospel, is available to us through faith. He's not suggesting that everyone will receive that in that verse. He is revealing the fact that Christ made it possible for us to be saved. Christ made it possible for us, as he will see that when we get down to verse 13, if we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We, we can't understand all of the principles, that, and knowledge alone won't get us there. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we can have salvation today. So that leads to the essentials here of the gospel. The obvious question is, who needs to be saved? The uh, rich young man that came to Jesus thought he had it made. And Christ revealed to him, you need to be saved. There, there's an element in your life that, that you need to change. I, I, I like the attitude of the Philippian jailer. As he came and knelt down before the Apostle Paul after the earthquake, he said, what must I do to be saved? He realized in that moment he needed salvation. And he was willing to come and willing to ask God for, for that salvation there. Uh, it becomes a vital question for us. What is the essentials of the gospel? How do we know whether we are truly saved or, or not here today? Notice again in verse 6 and 7, he stresses the, the absolute impossibility of us gaining our own salvation. We needed a sacrifice. We needed Jesus Christ to go to the cross. He said, who's going to ascend into heaven and bring him down? We can't do that. Um, can you imagine marching into the gates of heaven and saying, hey, you need to go down there and die for my sin? Well, we, we can't do that. And, and then after he came down, uh, he has to present his blood before the Father in heaven. Can we, could we have walked up to him and said, hey, let's get the job done. Get, get up there and take, take that sacrifice to, to the temple. No, we, we can't do that. It's impossible. But what he is suggesting for us in those verses is... Jesus Christ willingly did what we cannot do. He descended. He came into this world. Why? To bring salvation for us. He has ascended today. Why? Because he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he has made it possible for us to have uh, eternal life. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. So what does he ask of us in verse 8? He said, the word is near you in your mouth, in your hearts. That is what? The word of faith. We need to believe in Jesus Christ. We need to believe in the gospel message. It, all he asks is, of us is that, that word of faith there. Now, we struggle with that sometimes. 
you get into the deba debates of evolution and creation and so forth, and, and uh, they like to throw at you, well, yours is just based on faith. Well, I hate to tell them, but theirs is based on faith as well. Because when the world was created, they weren't there. And so they are assuming that this is the way it was. And they're, they're choosing to believe the, the philosophy of men. We choose to believe the word of God. It, it's all faith. We, we, we weren't there. We can't duplicate it. So it becomes an issue of faith. If we truly believe in the Lord, there are two things, two elements of it here coming out of verses 9 and 10. And... Uh, I, I know the ones in Awana have memorized these two verses, but I think it would be good for all of us to memorize them. Now, I realize we're getting older, and I realize it's not as easy to memorize as it used to be. But I really honestly believe that if we, if we put the effort into it, we could all learn these two verses. might be good verses to have in the back of our mind when we're sharing the gospel with somebody. It's the word of God that brings conviction, and we need to be willing to share that. So if you have trouble memorizing, write it out, go over it time after time. It's amazing what God can do and how he can get in your heart. But these are two essential verses I believe every child of God should have committed to memory. And don't make the excuses of age. How many of you know your passwords to all your accounts and so forth? Yeah. <laughs> Some of you are saying, no, hey, don't blow my illustration here. <laughs> uh, we, we, we can memorize what's really important to us. And so uh, let, let's not say we can't do this. Uh, we, we, we need to do this. this, this is a, these are crucial verses there. But he says, first of all, we must confess. Confess what? Confess Jesus Christ as Lord. First John chapter 4, I, I appreciate the fact uh, that Danny can read my mind most weeks. Uh, he took us into First John chapter 3. Uh, the, the Lord prompted him to do that, I, I, I'm sure. But uh, just go two verses farther in, in what he, he, he revealed to us there. Uh, verse 23, he, he said, he, this is his command that we do what? That we believe in the name of the Son of God. And then verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that doesn't confess that, he said, they're not from God. That cuts across denominational lines, cuts across the creeds. Do we really believe that Jesus Christ descended, came from the Father, came into this world, went to the cross for us. This is one of the crucial questions you have to ask of the cults. What do they say about Jesus Christ? What, what do they believe about him? Uh, is he just merely a man? Is, is he a good example? Or is he God come in human form? Do they confess that he is Lord today? Now, I, I think it's important to notice how Paul words that here. In, in verse 9, he says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord. He does not say, and sometimes we get the mistaken idea of, of this when we share the gospel and so forth. He does not say that we make Jesus Christ Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you acknowledge it 
or not. Whether, whether you recognize his, his right to be your Lord or not, he is Lord. We don't make him Lord today. Uh, he is Lord by right of who he is there. Uh, sat in on a court case here a while back, about two years ago, I guess it was, up in Colville. A man who uh, had gone into the courtroom, had just, uh, gotten up and disturbed the court and refused to recognize the authority of the court and so forth. And it was all caught on, on camera. You, you don't do that in a I mean, crazy place to do that is a courtroom. Everything's being recorded there. The, the, the fact of the matter was the, the man just wanted to make a statement. He, he knew he was guilty. Uh, he, he wouldn't plead guilty, but he, but he knew he, he was guilty there. His defense was, I don't recognize the jurisdiction of this court. This court is not listed in the original Constitution of the United States, and that's all I recognize, so this court has no jurisdiction over me. Uh, we were given the case, and about 10 minutes later, we informed the judge that we reached a verdict. And um, he, he thought we needed some clarification, that, that we'd missed something there. He, he said, what, what, do you need to see the evidence, or do you want to see the video? No, we, we've come to a decision. This man broke the law. Now, I don't know what the sentence was that he ultimately got for that, but whether he wanted to acknowledge the jurisdiction of that judge in that courtroom or not wasn't the issue. The issue was he was guilty, and he had to pay the consequences. The court had that right in our society and that responsibility. We don't make Christ Lord of our lives. He is Lord whether we choose to accept that fact or not. And that leads to some very serious ramifications, I think, in our life. Because in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said, Why do you bother calling me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do the things that I say? Do we really acknowledge he is Lord today? And if so, what are the implications in our life? If he gives us a command... Do we have the right to say, I, I don't like this command. I'm not going to do this one. I'll, 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 do, I'll do this other one over here, but, but uh, no, I'm going to pick and choose what, when it comes to serving Jesus Christ. No, he said, if I am Lord and you really confess that I am Lord, then you have the responsibility to obey. You have the, the responsibility to live out that conviction and that faith in, in your life. And so... Uh, a hard thing for us to uh, wrestle with sometimes. We, we can have uh, uh, confessing him as Lord is more than just a head knowledge. It's more than just saying, well, yeah, I believe he, he's Lord. I believe he died on the cross. I, no, we, we need to confess him as Lord of our life today. And then the second thing he says here is we must believe. Believe where? In our heart now. It's an inner condition here. And we believe in not only his death here, but... Uh, Notice he says, believe that God raised him from the dead. It's a belief not just in the death of Christ, but in the resurrection of Christ as well. Uh, as a dead Savior, Christ was worthless for us. If he died and stayed in the grave, we wouldn't have salvation. He was raised, Paul said back in chapter 4, for our justification. He was raised so that he could go before the Father and say to the Father, I paid for that sin. Here is the price. It, it, it's finished. It, it's, it's taken care of. 
Uh, he, he died for us, yes, but he rose uh, as well. So he's dealing here when he says, I want you to believe in your heart more than just an intellectual fact. Uh, now, most of you came in here today and uh, you believed if you sat on that chair, it was going to hold you up. Now, that, you're assuming that uh, Pastor Dent didn't come in and sabotage one of those chairs. Uh, uh, cut the legs off and just stand it up so that somebody sits on it, they're going to fall down. No, that, I, I wouldn't do that. Uh, maybe. <laughs> but we, we believe that. And so what did we do? Came in. You sat down. It's a perfectly good chair. You, you, you know that. You, you, you sat on it. We know that Jesus Christ came and went to the cross for us. We know that he paid our, the price but have we asked him to be our Savior? Have we believed in our heart that God has made this possible for us? Well, there's a disturbing verse in James chapter 2. In verse 19, it says, The devils believe and tremble. They know their doom is sure. They, they, they know, but it, it, it hasn't brought them to repentance. It, it hasn't brought them to the place where they, they were willing to go before God and say, hey, yes, we sinned, we're sorry. No, they, they know the judgment that's coming. And yet, uh, it, that knowledge doesn't do them any good. Uh, we can know the plan of salvation. We can even share it with somebody else. But if we don't believe it in our heart, it doesn't do us any good. We have to confess Jesus as Lord. We have to believe in our heart that God had raised him from the dead. Now, notice to be saved there in verse 10, he reverses the order. In verse 9, it's you confess with your mouth, recognize Jesus as the Lord, uh, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then with the heart, man believes. The end result of that is what? Righteousness. We become right with God when we choose to believe in Jesus Christ. When we accept him as our Savior, we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made him, Jesus Christ, to do what? To be sin for us, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin on his shoulders, in a sense, on the cross, so that he could place on us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As, and as we accept him as our Savior, that's what takes place in, in our lives. And then, have, having made that choice, then he asks us to confess, resulting in salvation. We make that confession there, public confession in a sense, with our mouth. Uh, and and um, we see that pattern throughout Scripture. Back in chapter 4, in verse 3 there, he quoted from the book of Genesis, Abraham did what? Believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And how did he confess God in that time when, when he goes back to Genesis chapter 15? He believed God. Remember what God said? I want you to take your son, sacrifice him on the altar. He believed, if he did that, that God was able to raise his son from the grave. And so what did he do? Did he just sit in his tent and say, hey, I believe this. Uh, we'll just stay here. And, and uh, no, he confessed. He, he got out there. He took his son. They went out there. They built, built the altar. He bound his son to the altar. He lifted that knife. And then God stayed his hand there. But he, his faith 
was translated into action. It's not that his action saved him, but his, his faith brought him to the point where if I truly believe, then I need to do something. I, I, I need, if I truly believe that Christ died for me, then I need to make that confession with my mouth to be saved here. Someone has said, confession without belief is hypocrisy. If we say we believe and we do nothing about it, we're being hypocrites. It's hypocrisy. Uh, and I don't know where this quote came from, uh, but you, 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 can, you can take it and steal it if you want because I, I stole it from somebody else and I don't even know where I got it from. But confession without belief is hypocrisy. If we say we believe and it doesn't touch our hearts, we just merely go through the motions. You know, we can do that on a Sunday morning. We can say we believe in God. We, we, we can say we, we believe in the gospel. We can, go th- we can sing all of the songs. We can open our Bibles. We can, uh, I'm going to assume that we do that. We can listen to the pastor. Uh, uh, some of you, that's your nap time. I, I, I realize that. That, that. That's okay. That, that, that doesn't bother me there. But uh, we, we can go through all of the motions. But if it doesn't touch our hearts, that's hypocrisy. But that, that saying also goes on to say belief without confession is being a coward. It's cowardice here. It's it, uh, an indication that we really don't believe what we're confessing there. We need to make that confession of Jesus Christ. I think we see the two of it in the story of Acts chapter 16. And I use this example very carefully here. The Apostle Paul was in prison, uh, crazy uh, disciples there, they're singing at midnight, uh, waking everybody up in the prison. Uh, they'd been beaten. They'd been put in stocks. Uh, can, can you imagine what the, the Roman guards must have thought of them? Uh, hey, we could be taking a nap here, and these crazy guys, they're singing. They're, they're keeping us awake. This is nighttime. But uh, they were singing, and then along, along came the earthquake. The doors were open. The Roman jail, jailer was responsible for the prisoners. If one of them got away, his life was forfeit. And so he's about to take his own life there. And Paul cries out, hey, don't, don't get, be so drastic there that we're all here. We're, they're all listening to the gospel being preached here and so forth. And, and uh, he brings him out of prison and washes his back and the sores and so forth. And, and, uh, and then he comes in front of Paul and he says, what must I do to be saved? Remember what Paul answered? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the belief aspect of it. Do you know that, Have you ever read the rest of the story, though? What was the very next thing that he did? He what? He was baptized. He made a confession of his faith. Now, that baptism did not save him. We can make that confession in many ways. But if you think, I can just be a secret believer, then something is wrong with your faith. We need to confess Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. We need to uh, allow him to, to be revealed through us to somebody else. We see the same thing in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in, in, in the book of Acts. Philip was traveling with him, and, and he was reading from Isaiah, and Philip revealed to him the, the message there. And... Uh, he asked him if he believed, and he did. And then he underwent the waters of baptism there as a, a public testimony there. But do we really believe in Jesus Christ enough that we're going to confess him before men? Do we really believe that, that Jesus Christ is Lord today 
And we're going to live as if that is true in our lives. Are, are we willing not just to mouth the words, but to confess him by our life and, and our actions? Have we acted upon what we profess to believe? And I'm not suggesting a work salvation in that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But if you go into the very next verse there, comes the idea that if we truly believe in the grace of God there, then we're created for his workmanship to do good works. It should show in our lives. If we make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and there's no change in our life, something's wrong with that profession. It should have an impact upon how we live, how we think, how, how we act. It, it, it should touch our lives in some way because what we are really confessing is Jesus, not only did Jesus Christ die for my sin, but Jesus Christ is my Lord. And that needs to be emphasized, I think, in our life. If we truly believe he is Lord, then it impacts everything that we do and say. So as you think about this particular passage of Scripture, and we'll come back to it again next week as, as we move on looking at the free will of man. But two questions. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? You do that by believing in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You do that by making that public confession of faith. It, I, I'm not asking, do you know the facts? Uh, I'm not asking, do you go through the motions? I'm asking, have you really accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you asked him into your life to be your Lord and, and Savior today? If you haven't, you need to do that today. That's, that's the starting point. You, you need to come to the place where you believe that he died, not just for somebody else, but he died for you. you. You need to recognize that fact. You need to ask him to be your Savior, just like that Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the starting point. But then I think you also need to ask yourselves today, if we truly believe that, how are we confessing that? How are we demonstrating that Jesus Christ is Lord? How is the world seeing that fact in our lives? He said, if I am your Lord, why do you not do the things that I say? Right. So I think we need to wrestle with that as a child of God. Are we, is there some step of obedience that God is asking of you and you've just refused to do it? Is he really your Lord? Have you surrendered to his lordship? Because if he says do it and he is Lord, then guess what? We have the responsibility to do it. We have to do what, what he asks of us if, if we truly have acknowledged him as our Lord and Savior today. So I want you to wrestle with those two issues today. Have you accepted him as your personal Savior? If you haven't, I don't want you to leave here today without wrestling with that issue. I'd be happy to visit with you and share with you what is involved in that, how you can do that today. It's not just a fact of knowing the facts. You need to take that stand and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you have, then you have to ask yourself, am I living out the implications of the gospel? Is he truly Lord in my life today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. And yet we realize it's not a simple matter. 
it's so easy to say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's a heart matter and it's a surrendering to you. So give us the courage to do that if we haven't done that. And then if we have, Father, give us the courage to recognize that it doesn't end there. If we confess you as Lord, we have the responsibility to live in light of the fact that you are Lord in our lives. And so give us the courage to do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus.